right, there we go. Cool. So, um, all right, here we go. So, um, welcome, Formation, everyone. This is a couple words about Formation. I think it'd be helpful. Um, I haven't read my phone, so I don't mess this up. Um, like, I know for some of you, this is your first rodeo. For some of you, you've been here before. Um, but I want to say that, like, what is, what is the point of formation? Um, we call this night formation, and you're part of, like, the formation program. But this night is just, like, an anchor for, like, the, really your entire life, really. Like, this is one night where, yes, we come together. We're all together. It's really cool. One room. Um, formation service team's here. Shout out them. And... Um, and we're like we're like hearing we're like hearing something together, like focusing our attention in a direction, and then we're worshiping together. Um, but then like really the rest of your week is part of formation too. It's not just like this is the night we think about formation, and the rest of our life we just live. Like God the Father is like forming you throughout your entire life of how you respond to Him each and every day. And this is just kind of like again like kind of like a an anchor point if you will in your week or every other week where we kind of come together, same attention, hear some content, and then go live it out. So uh, there was a, I sent out these evals. Some of you know we were veterans each semester. We kind of get some feedback on formation. Like you give like a zero, one, or a two, depending on how you like it. Um, I do read them. And, uh, and they're good. They are really good. And they're really honest. And I really appreciate that. And um, one, one time this one brother gave like a zero. He was like, I really appreciate all the work. It's really good to be here. Um, I just didn't really see how like the content was like applicable. It didn't really do much. And then like a week later, he sends another response. He gives it a two, like the highest score. And he says, like, we just had this awesome conversation with guys in my house, what we just talked about and, like, how to apply it. And now, I, like, it clicked for me and I get it. And this is so awesome. <laughs> so it's, like, I think it's just a good microcosm story to, like, like, how this works is if it's, like, visited outside of this night. Um, how it doesn't work if it just kind of stays here. Um, and then we just sort of, like, forget and we go about our merry ways. So it's just a challenge for you guys. Um, you get out what you put in as anything in life. And so if you have your notebooks, awesome. Um, if you just have your phones, you want to take notes on your phone, that's fine. I'm not offended. I won't think you're texting. Um, I, I'm a big notes guy on my, app, on my phone. So that's your way. Whatever it is, just take notes. Like, what is the Lord saying? Capture some things and then take them to prayer. There'll be some, there'll be some practicals for us today. Um, good. So we're kicking off. Um, who remembers our course this semester? Yeah. There you go, Anna. The greatest commandment. Right, which is funny because the greatest commandment is kind of two. I don't really know how that works, Father. You can explain it to us later. Um, but the greatest commandment is what? Yeah, love God. Yeah, whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That is the greatest commandment. Um, and we're digging into those two things. So what I want to start with, though, is I want to start with a little bit of, like, recap from where we came from last time. Remember? Um, and remember, like, remember the golf thing? Um, I want to expand on the golf thing as we get launched, because I realize most people don't play golf. But, um, right, the point of golf is what? Hit a ball in the hole. Yeah, yeah. It's to hit a ball in the hole in as few shots as possible. Anyone who tells you differently is lying to you. Like, it's the point of golf to have fun. Yes, you need to have fun, but the point of golf is to score low, right? So you can also say in art, right? Let's say, like, painting or writing, right? And there's kind of the school thought, like, the point of art is just to, like, express yourself. And there's some truth to that. There's, like, in the same way, like, the point of golf is to go out there and have fun. But, like, the point is to actually make art that is beautiful, right? That is meaningful. 
that is like rich. Like if you like made a finger painting and brought it home to your housemates, I hope they tell you that's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> like I'm glad it means something to you, but it, it sucks. You know. I hope they have the honesty, maybe in nicer words. But if you're like just starting out doing like painting, right, and you're not very good at it, but you think, but you kind of have this high ideal in mind, what happens when you like make art? When you, let's say you like watch a Bob Ross episode and you try to like follow along, and yours is like hot garbage. What's what's something you might feel? Sad, horrible, sad. Let's see what? Disappointed. Yeah, right. So so too with us in the Christian life. Sometimes we have this high ideal, right? to be transformed to the image of Jesus, right? To be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. And then we also, then we live our lives and we fall drastically short, and what happens? Yeah, we just, we just get pissed, right? And we kind of like, it kind of like weighs on us, and we kind of miss actually like the, the, the process of it. So we get so wrapped up in results that we miss the process. Because in the process is where God's grace is. So like if we were like in art and we were really bad at it, we may not like want to show people our art, but we talk about it like we're really good, maybe, you know? Or like we play golf, like maybe like you wear all the cool golf stuff, you have all the golf hats, all the golf clubs, but you're really bad at it, but you don't want people to know. Um, it's kind of like we kind of start to like kind of lie to ourselves or hide parts of ourselves. And even we start to hide parts of ourselves from God if we're feeling like we're not measuring up. And if we hide ourselves from God, we're gonna really, you're gonna have a bad time. It's just not gonna work well. So um, this is all about um, process orientation versus um, results orientation. So we don't want to lie to ourselves. But how do, we, so how do we become good at the Christian life? Right? I would say we have to love. Love it. But what, what are we talking about when we love it? What are we loving? Well, we're loving God, right? So this is kind of centering on our theme, right? Loving God. So how do we, how do we love God? So your first thought might be like, well, I gotta like do these things. I gotta go to mass. I gotta like pray. I gotta go to confession. Gotta like be in a ministry. Gotta show up to formation. Like yes, but how do we love God? Um, we love God because He loved us first, Amen. right? So you see how this kind of shifts orientation from like what I gotta do to who God is, and this is actually the first shift we have to make if we're serious about learning how to be a Christian, how to live a good Christian life. It's shifting from just me to first God. God first. Not what I do first, but first who God is. Okay? So the Father loves you, period. That reality. Remember we talked about this last uh, two weeks ago? The Father loves you, period. Not because you show up to formation. Not because you, you know, even go to, he doesn't love you because you go to Mass on Sunday. Well, those are very two good things to do. He loves you, period. And because of that, we do these things. Because of that, we show up for him. Um, and the Father loves you, period. And this, this is, goes, Jesus, Jesus talks about this. He talks about those two people who go to pray, right? The first one shows up, um, the Pharisee. He's like, God, I thank you that I'm not like those sinners partying on 15th Ave tonight. I thank you that I am here in formation, that I pray every day, that I go to Mass multiple times a week. Thank you, God, that, like, he's relating, what's he relating out of? That Pharisee, right? It's not what he says, but it's kind of what he says, right? He's relating out of what he does, right? So his relationship to God is founded on what he does. What does the second person do? Who knows? You know the story? The second one stands at the back, doesn't lift his eyes, and says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. What's the first thing he says? What's the first thing the other one says? Hi. 
right? You see, seeing that? Jesus is getting at it. Um, so, of course, this year, the greatest commandment, if we do these two things, we're set. Cool. Um, so how do we do them? How do we do them? Um, the problem with us, oftentimes, is what we're like, we, we, it's too, we're kind of tricked to being the first guy. We're tricked to relating to God through what we do. And like, I'm cool with God because I did all these things today. Instead of, I'm cool with God because he loves me. And because of that area, my life flows out into the good things. You see, it's, it's like the process of, it's really this horizontal orientation is a good way to think about it. Like, if I have a horizontal orientation, I'm just relating to myself and what I do. And like, the horizontal orientation should be redeemed. That's the goal of Christianity, right? That this temporal life, our, our bodies, our, our lives are transformed to be like Christ. But they're not transformed to be like Christ because we're just focused on this. We're focused vertically on the Lord. And through that vertical orientation to God and his love for me, then the temporal order is then set in, in order. Amen? Amen? Make sense? So we go vertical first. So how, do, how we get messed up here, I want to propose to us today, there's, there's a few ways, but I want, to, I want to kind of focus on one. And one is that we miss what God is saying to us. We miss what God is saying to us. Um, we think God is saying, you need to be perfect, you need to figure it out, and then we can kind of get things going. Like, hey, like, pick it up. Like, you're not doing good enough. We hear maybe accusations. Like, we maybe hear some, like, some things going on. Um, or we hear, like, God saying, like, I tolerate you because you do the right things. Like, hey, you can stick around because you're doing the right things. But don't ever fall out of line because then you're out. Like, we kind of have that idea. If we mishear what God's saying, we're in a world of hurt. So we're going to read from Matthew 18. If you have your Bibles, um, you can pull them out. This is a great story about mishearing um, what the Father says. Jesus says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. This is Matthew 18, 23. It says, when he began the reckoning, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, which is like hundreds of thousands of dollars, an unpayable sum, maybe even millions. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But that same servant, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, a much smaller sum, and seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison till he should pay the debt. When his fellow servant saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his Lord delivered him to the jailers till they should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So obviously a lesson on forgiveness. But there's, there's the crux here. You maybe caught it, maybe you didn't. The crux here is the guy owns a sum that is unpayable. He falls on his knees and he asks for, what does he ask for? He asks, yeah, have patience with me, I will pay you everything. Which, one, is impossible. Like, you can't, and especially in that time, it's not like now where there's like kind of upper mobility, maybe he like puts it all on Dogecoin and it goes to the moon, you know? Doge to a dollar, maybe then he can pay back. They had no, they had no crypto. There was no, like, he was kind of delusional. But he asked for more time, right? So he kind of wasn't even understanding how his relationship worked with his Lord. And what did, the, what, did his, what did the Lord say to him? 
He pitied him, and then he, say it louder. He forgave him the debt. Doesn't mean like, he didn't say, okay, cool, you got five months or 10 years. He said, your debt is forgiven. But clearly this guy didn't hear it because then he goes to his other servants and he's like, I have like five months to pay this back. Hey, you, give me what you owe me, right? Give me, give me like, I, I need the money now because I got to pay it back. So he was playing the wrong game. So he missed what this, what this king said to him. And by missing what this king said to him, he was playing the wrong game, right? He was like being unmerciful, he was like trying to get money from other people when actually he was forgiven. So he was carrying around this burden, right? This burden he was carrying around. The burden was actually taken from him in reality. But somehow in his mind, he rationalized, like, the burden is still there. I got to act under this. And he was acting under this burden that actually caused him to act, to act improperly, right? To um, pay back. So we all, I, I, I wager, um, maybe all of us, maybe we hadn't even thought about this language before, but we all, when we, when we mishear the Father, we carry around this burden. We carry around this burden that, like, man, like, it's all on me to fill in the blank. Like, I need to do this, whatever, so that I can be fill in the blank, right? Accepted, um, so I can be good, so I can prove myself to be good, so I can prove God that I'm not a screw-up, so I can prove to my parents, whatever it is. But this burden actually causes us, one, to kind of, like, put God at a distance. He's like, okay, God, like, you said you forgave me, but I'm going to go prove to you that I'm forgiven. And like, what happens is we end up acting out improperly. So the, the, the core of the gospel, the, 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 the weight of the gospel, when the gospel hits us, and this is something that the Lord wants for every single one of you, is to actually experience him lifting your burden. Maybe even maybe somebody take to prayer, like, Father, what is, what is the burden I act out of? Do I actually know I'm forgiven? Right? We actually know that you love me. And we receive that, right, in the, in the sacrament of reconciliation. But even we can know that, there's, there's that the, 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 the graces of the sacrament are incredible. But, like, if we sin, it's not that God is pissed at us until we go to confession. We can be reconciled in contrition and then go to confession to be reconciled to the church and receive those graces and kind of have that happen. But, like, God is not pissed at us until we go to confession, right? We can kind of have that thought sometimes. They're like, man, until I go there. But when we start leaving, no, God's love is now. God's favor is now. It's not just someday. It is present now. And that helps us kind of undercover what our burden is. How are we acting? And what are we acting out of? So somehow we learn from like our parents, siblings, coaches, friends, that we need to perform to be accepted. Right? That's kind of the way of the world. And like, I have kids. And no matter how hard I try, I still do this. When my kid is acting, is like behaving well, usually they get like pats on the back, affirmation. When they're acting poorly, Usually I do less of those, which, again, is not the best parenting move, but just what you do, right? It's hard, okay? Cut me some slack. Um, and we, so we kind of learn growing up that, like, man, when I'm good, I get approval. When I'm bad, I get reprimanded, and it's kind of scary, and I don't know what to do with it. Um, and it's like, Ellie, sometimes it's really sad, but she, like, I'll, I'll, like, reprimand her for something, and she'll get really sad, and I'm like, why is she sad? I just, like, told her not to do that. And Anna's like, like, Daddy still loves you. And I'm like, oh, wow, she thinks I'm, like, actually pissed at her. I'm not, I'm just like, I was correcting behavior. So we think that with God sometimes, like, man, like, no, no, God loves you. Like, God isn't, like, cutting you off. He's not, like, out of the family. He's, like, he loves you. Um, and we, sometimes we think, like, like, little Ellie does, like, when we like, do something that, like, we, like, fall, we think that God's pissed. He's not pissed. Um, he's merciful. He's loving. His love has not changed. Only we have changed um, our, our orientation to it. So what happens is we kind of learn this way of being, which is, like, perform, do good, get attention. Um, so we take this old system, 
and we kind of put it on our new Christian conversion. So at a certain point in your life, you, like, you knew Christ. Christ loves you, um, he died for you, and you start trying to walk in his ways, right? And um, if we take this old way of thinking that I have to do good to be accepted or loved, and we map it on the Christianity, this is what Jesus was talking about when he, part of what he's talking about, I think, a good application of like the old wine and the new wineskins. You guys tracking with me there? So the old wine is the old way of relating, which is like, do good and be accepted. Like, sh- like I love you when you, do, when, you, when you do the right thing. And if you take that to Christianity, that's us putting the old wine in the new wineskins. And what happens? Burst. It bursts, right? It bursts. Um, I love, did I put it in here? Um, you know, I love Jesus talking about it. He actually says at the end of it, um, and once you've tasted the new wine, you have no use for the old, something like that. So once this burden is released from us, once we experience the, the profound, abiding, constant, powerful, waterfall, torrential, relentless love of the Father, like, there's no use for the old way. We know we don't have to act to earn the approval. And this is our vertical orientation, brothers and sisters, that then sanctifies and purifies and redeems the horizontal. This is the right order of things. So our minds need renewal. And maybe you know, our minds and our hearts. Um, so if we, yeah, if we get this wrong, this is not the gospel, we're, we're, we're way off. So, and then I guess it's, it's a, you can also make the application with God and our relationship with God. Do we all maybe also think deep down that if I do good things for God, he's going to love me more and he'll help me out more. Like the more good I do, the more God will help me out and he'll do more for me. Um, that, I mean, if I do enough good things for God, he'll give me what I want, which, you know, I don't know what that is for you. Um, happy life, whatever that looks like, a job that pays well, spouse that is holy makes me holy, nice kids who sit quietly around the dinner table. Yeah, right. Um, maybe, maybe when they're older. Um, a nice house, friendly neighbors, a life filled with idyllic weekends, great vacations, like kind of my plan. Like if I do good for God, he'll hook me up with what I, like, my plan. We have, do we kind of have that thought sometimes? Some of us, for honest. Um, so God can be seen as this all-powerful, all-loving, like, great God that if I do the right things, he'll give me a happy life. It's kind of this transactional idea. Um, this, brothers and sisters, there's a term for this. Um, it's called moralistic therapeutic deism. Fancy term, right? Yeah, moralistic therapeutic deism. And what it means is moralistic in the sense that, like, God gives me rules to follow, which helps me kind of know, especially people who like rules, your engineer types, shout out. Um, you know, like, I have, I have a good way to go. Therapeutic because God loves me and makes me feel good. And deism, like, God is out there, and, like, yes, he made everything, and he's, like, he's, like, in control, but, like, kind of not really. So this is, like, kind of this weird, it's actually, like, the, the soup we swim in. It's, it started with, kind of, <laughs> millennials made this popular, and then Gen Z's kind of picking up the, the soup. It's kind of talked about a lot. And God never goes beyond just this transactional God. So, um, this is a very typical way to approach God. We have to be honest with ourselves if we ever see him that way. Again, this kind of moralistic therapeutic deism is like, I do my part, God does his part. Cool. Um, so, God wants to meet you here. And this has everything to do with Christian maturity. So, maturity is a concept kind of funky. We understand it in human terms. So, Roland, this is funny, my son, he just turned four. Um, we're driving back from Mass, I think it was like a week and a half ago, and he goes, uh, what did he say? He goes, I don't like Mass. Because I can't play. It's like, fair enough. <laughs> I know. That was my first thought. It's one of those thoughts like, wait, I don't really have anything to say. I was just kind of like, yeah, you, you, 
can't play it. I guess for a four-year-old, it's not very fun. But like, in hindsight, I was like, man, I could have said this or this or this, you know, like one of those conversations. But I didn't, okay? I didn't have the great profound thing to say in that rebuttal. <laughs> but it is funny. It's like, that's the definition of kind of immaturity, right? Like, I don't like masks because it's not fun. Like, oh, I don't like fill in the blank because it's not fun. We, we understand that as like a, an immature mindset for like a human being, right? Now, other areas, right? Immature versus maturity, right? Um, moving from fun at the center to what is meaningful at the center. Um, moving from like play all the time to actually getting some work done. Playing from like a short-term now mindset to like a long-term mindset. To like going from like, you know, live fast, die hard now, YOLO, to like actually um, like I'm gonna invest, I'm gonna sacrifice now for a better future um, down the line. Which is, you guys all understand to extinction you're in college right now. Um, which is fun, yes, but also you're sacrificing four years of your earning potential and taking on debt in order to someday have a better future um, beyond. So this is adulting. Congratulations. That's, that's maturity as an adult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, what about spiritual maturity? What does spiritual maturity look like? Um, yeah, what, what, are some, what do you think spiritual maturity looks like? To some. Praying when it doesn't feel good. Yeah, yeah, praying. Yep, even when it doesn't feel good. Yeah. <laughs> Staying committed, yep. Yeah. Realizing that God is there even when bad things are happening. Yes. Yeah. Amen. Realizing that God is so present even when bad things are happening. Virtue. Yep. Virtue? Yeah. What do you mean by that? Um, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe this flows from the, like, the firm habitual disposition to do the good. It's good. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Thank you, St. Thomas Aquinas. That's really good. That's, really, that's exactly that's what he says. Um, so, yeah, right, it's desiring heaven above earthly things, like seek what is above, not what is below, right, living according to the spirit, not by the flesh. There's a lot of concepts here and ideas here. Um, but let's, uh, let's see what the scriptures say. Um, it's a verse you may not think talks about maturity, but it does. Um, we're going to Mark, I believe it's 10. Um, everyone's favorite, uh, rich young man. Um, we've heard the rich young man before. I encourage you. Just come, Holy Spirit, be open. Let the Lord speak something new to us today. Um, and this is, this is Mark speaking. He says, And as Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up, knelt before him, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. Do not kill. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And the man said to him, Teacher, all these I have observed from my youth. And Jesus, looking upon him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. At that saying, his countenance fell, and he went away sorrowful, for he had many possessions. Um, and Jesus goes on and talks about like, the, like the, um, how hard it is for those who are rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, but I think it's, the rich man laying it's kind of like a bad rap sometimes. But the guy was doing it. He was living the life. Like, how could we say the same, right? Like, he's listed, Jesus listed up, what, a six, six or so commandments, and he was doing all those from his youth, you know? He didn't have any kind of rebellious phase. It's pretty good, right? Like, he's doing good things. So what's, what's going on here? Um, I think what's going on here, um, and what I've read, what I want to present to us today, um, is a rich young man was basically asking, like, hey, God, can you, like, tell me I'm crushing it, and then I can, like, go about my life 
Because I think you probably had, I'm not a psychologist, you probably had a burden. And maybe you can pray about it as you're praying. What was the rich young man's burden? Why did he come to Jesus and ask that question? If he was already doing good, why wasn't he at peace? Right? Because he came to Jesus asking something. And there's something behind the question that Jesus saw. Right? And Jesus looked upon him and loved him and knew him in a way that only God can. And the invitation he gave was for him alone. Right? Jesus didn't ask many people to follow him, actually. Right? But this invitation was for this man. Um, but I think the rich young man, he kind of, he was in the mindset he wanted to make the grade. He wanted to do the things. He wanted to check the boxes. He was very interested in the externals. And Jesus saw that. And Jesus says, hey, do you want to be in relationship with me? Do you want to come follow me? Do you, you want to go all in? Um, and this, is, this was hard for him. Why? Because relationships are messy. Relationships, I'm not always in control. Relationships, I'm kind of yoked to somebody else. Right? And that's hard for us as human beings. We need to admit that. It's hard for us to be in a relationship because relationship means, again, I'm, I'm like yoked to this person. It's not just me. Um, and I think if he did want a relationship at all, he probably wanted it on his terms. And Jesus exposed that. Jesus was like, hey, like, sell what you have and come follow me. Um, and Jesus knew what he was holding on to. The self was firmly in charge in this man's life. It was his ways. He was doing, he was doing all the good things. And praise God, he was. Because it's not a bad thing of what he was doing. Right? He was following the commandments. But there was a greater offering that Jesus invited him to make that he was unable to make because he was holding on to what he, was, um, to what he had. And I love this story, too, because you could even read it in the sense, what was he rich with? He was a young man. What is our greatest gift? The greatest gift all of you have, which actually, like, people in every single office around the country, um, every single person work in the working world would die to have, which is your time. You are rich in time. Not just, I mean, yeah, you college, you have your demands, but, like, you have the rest of your life ahead of you. The rest of your life is ahead of you. Like, that is an incredible gift. And it's, it's, a, it's a wealth that has been given to you. Um, again, we do not do the day or the hour. Um, but statistically speaking, most of you are going to live till you're 70, if not all. Um, and that's a, that's a great richness that you have. So Jesus says, um, he says here, I think he says in this, um, he doesn't say it in this, in this translation, actually, but in, I think in Matthew he says, if you wish to be perfect, go sell what you have and come follow me. Now, if the rich young man would have sold all that he had, would he have been perfect in the sense that he would have been perfect as his heavenly father is perfect? No. So what's Jesus saying? What Jesus is saying is like, hey, go sell what you have and you'll be perfect. The perfect he's talking about, I won't get into the Greek, but it's teleos, and it's about this idea of maturity and goal, about how if you sell what you have, you will have a new orientation in relationship to me, a new vertical understanding of what it means to be a human being. And a new horizon will open up to you. So this new track, Jesus was offering him a new path, a new way of relating to God, a new way of existing, if you will. Um, and again, an entirely new mindset, right? Because he wouldn't have been perfect in the sense of like, like God entirely because he's still a man, but this would have changed how he would have operated. Um, and this is kind of what we want, too, in our own lives, right? We want men and women, we want, us, we want to respond generously to what the Lord is asking of us. We want to offer him our lives. If Jesus calls, we want to say, yes, Lord, I will go, whatever it looks like. Um, but this doesn't just happen through, like, us thinking about it. It happens through action. 
And that's what's so great about this story, too, is Jesus didn't say, hey, um, just do you declare me Lord of your life? He's like, yes. He's like, cool, you're there. He says, no, come, follow me. He got a concrete, tangible action. Um, not just an inward ascent, but this visible, consequential action in the real world. Jesus says, give yourself entirely to me and my kingdom and do so in action, not just in word. So here's a good example. I asked um, some of you know Ohio State alum, since brother Jeff Crock. Um, yeah, he's a good man. I give it up for brother Jeff. Um, I asked him, where did God surprise you during your college years? It was a simple question, and his response to that was, was profound. He said, literally everything. He says, nothing has been as expected in my life since I started living for the Lord. Everyone has a plan for, the, for their college years, and oftentimes it's not hashtag God's plan. He says, if you're in school and you feel like you're following the exact plan you laid out when you were a freshman, it might be a good idea to check that with the Lord. It's Brother Jeff saying that. Um, so, again, this talk um, is about one, it's about realizing what's at the heart of the gospel. That's what I want to present to us today. Um, to be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Then we need to realize we can't do that by just focusing on the, like, the right horizontal things, by getting everything perfect. We don't become perfect as Heavenly Father by like, only thinking horizontally and trying to like, engineer the crap out of our life. We think about it through going vertical. Um, we can only love God if we understand his love for us. Because if we, under- we start being filled with his love for us, then we can start loving him back with his love. Because our love is fickle. Amen? Amen? My love gets distracted. My love is me-centered. But if I'm filled with the God's love, I can offer that back to the Father. I'm transformed. That's how it works. Um, it has to be in action, not just in thoughts. So here we begin to understand the unfathomable love of the Father by responding generously to the Lord's call in action. Again, we're incapable of loving God if we're still in control of our lives. So we're talking about love God, love neighbor. We cannot love God if, in the same way the rich young man was invited to a deeper journey, we are all invited to a deeper journey this year. Of what does it mean to follow you, Jesus, more in action? <laughs> What do I need to lay down? Am I still in control of every area of my life? So this, this idea is kind of seeing the Christian life as um, kind of a juxtaposition of the Christian life as striving and the Christian life as surrendering. Seeing the Christian life as striving is going to be horizontal. Is there great effort involved? Yes, absolutely. It will take all of you. But if we just focus there, um, we're going to be, we're starting from the wrong place. The first action of the Christian life is a surrender. To who? To what? To the Father who loves us. <laughs> right? And here's a good thing in prayer, too. Like, if you've never actually, you've all, I, I imagine in some way or another you've experienced the Father's love, but he wants you to experience it new. Pope Francis says every day. Um, and doesn't mean we're, like, overwhelmed with the same thing we felt in the beginning, but ask, he asks the Father, Father, reveal your love for me in a new way. Maybe make that prayer consistently every day. Have that be part of your personal prayer. Father, reveal your love to me in a new way. He delights in doing that. That is like asking him for the exact thing he wants to give you. You're not bothering him. You're not being ungrateful. Father, show me your love in a new way today. He delights in that. He wants to give more. Um, so again, this school, the Christian life is striving. Christian life as surrendering. Um, the first, as striving, has me as the main character. The second, surrendering, has God as the main character. Right? Striving, I'm in control. Surrendering, God's in control. Um, and actually, this is the good news. The good news is that we have a Father who loves us beyond our comprehension, has a vision for our life, that when we surrender to it, our life unfolds. Um, we actually become who we're called to be um, through his power, not just our own. Um, so what does that have to do with the greatest commandment? 
love God your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Because if we think we're going to fulfill these, these teachings, or these, these commandments, by learning some cool tips and tricks, we're wrong. It's kind of the rich young man approach. If we think we're going to like get there by doing, checking the boxes, it's not how it happens. It happens through surrender. It happens through um, my life um, being, so, yeah. Yep. So, all right. Going to keep moving. Um, we're, the, um, here's, a, here's an example. Um, loving God. So, this is ironic, but if you want someone to love Ohio State football, what's the best way to do it? Yeah, and, yeah right? It's, is it the best way to do them to get him, get him somewhere every other Thursday and talk to him for like an hour? No, it's probably not the best way. Which is what I said at the beginning. It's not about, just about this. But the best way to get him to love Ohio State football is not to show him like the documentary or like talk to him about it or share why he's so excited. It's actually get them to go to it. So like bring him into town, go buy a jersey for him, show up to a tailgate at Newman or Antioch or wherever, um, and take him to the game so they can experience it. And they're like, man, this is cool. I get it now. I get why people love Ohio State football. Um, so our hearts aren't won for the Lord just by talking about him. Our hearts are won by living it. So there's a great story. Um, there was this big convocation of bishops. Um, this African bishop was speaking about like, what God was doing in Africa. All these miracles, all these crazy things happening. And like, just incredible things. And at the end, he sits down and this American bishop gets up. He's like, that's great and all, but like, how come you guys are seeing all those great things happen in Africa? In the States, it's like not quite like that. And this bishop gets up and he says, well, you Americans, you study God and you get smarter. We Africans, we worship God and we get changed. <laughs> Which, it's a, power, it's a powerful line. Does it mean it's bad to study? No, please study, please read. But his point is valid of like, worship is at the center, right? Worship of God is at the center. We want to grow, we want to get smarter, we love Americans. Um, but the worship is what he was pointing at. And the worship gets at the heart. The worship is what do I put value on? What matters to me? Like when I go and I haven't prayed today, do I spend an hour on YouTube? That's me choosing YouTube over time with the Lord if I haven't prayed yet, right? Um, so just a quick example. So what is in the way? Um, I think what's in the way oftentimes, Jesus, I love the stories of the call of the apostles because when Jesus called, they left behind their father and their Someone say their mother in there, like, and what was like the physical thing, like the fishermen, what they have that they left behind? Nets. They left behind their nets. You think about the nets, and nets are the livelihood of a fisherman. That's like how he made his money. Life was going to work out for him. If he had his nets, life was going to be okay. He wasn't, his family wasn't going to starve. But they left behind that. Their one thing that was security, and they went on to follow Jesus. So, what are the things that we grasp onto security? What do we think is kind of, what are our nets? That's maybe another thing to ask the Lord in prayer. What are our nets? Um, was John saying we need to drop out of college because it's our safety net? No. Now what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> Peter wants that. You're almost done anyways. Uh, but um, what I'm saying is that we need to understand that we might still be in the driver's seat of our lives um, because we have the wrong idea of the Christian life. And if we're still in the driver's seat, you can bet that Jesus isn't hashtag taking the wheel, right? Um, good. All right. All right. We're going to wrap up here with some practicals. So quick summary. Um, Quick summary, we can consciously or subconsciously think that God is an all-powerful guy who wants to give me good things as long as I do the right thing for him, right? That's moralistic therapeutic deism. It is not the Christian life, right? Um, but this is kind of what the rich man saw and went after. He kind of wanted to, like, make the grade. 
Um, and he got pretty far, but he missed the heart transformation. He missed the gospel. He missed the power. Um, he was still acting under a burden. He hadn't, God's love hadn't like, exploded his life yet, because if it did, he would have gone all in. Um, so how does this transformation happen? The Lord accomplishes, that, accomplishes it in us through a real relationship with him. And how do we get this deeper relationship? I got three things for us. Um, it's not magic, but these are three things for us to avail ourselves to allow the Lord to do that vertical connection, vertical transformation we're talking about. First one is humility. Humility puts us in right relationship with reality. Um, humility puts us in right relationship with reality, with who we are and who God is. So think about it. If my six-year-old thought she knew more than me, we couldn't really have a relationship. We wouldn't really relate well. It just wouldn't work, right? If I told her something, she'd be like, yeah, Dad, I already know. It's like, dang. Um, this is not going to go anywhere. Teenagers, right? Yeah, It's hard. Um, she shuts me out. So, so for us, um, in our humility, when we come to prayer, if you, I don't know if you try this word, in personal prayer, maybe the first bit, um, just praise God. Whether that's just like silently in our hearts. Um, maybe some, I heard someone, Miles saying, puts in a worship song, which is really cool to like center us on worship of the God. Um, whatever it is, worship God first. And what you're doing there is you're putting, you're saying God first and not me first. Like worship says you are God and I am not. Um, remember our, our phrase, if you're green, you grow. If you're ripe, you rot right? Are we green? Are we hungry? Are we humble? Do we know we don't have it all figured out? Um, a good thing here is if we think we know more than everyone around us, we know something's probably off. Um, we're not acting humbly. And we know if we're doing that to people around us, we might be doing that to God too. Um, that's humility. Number two, showing up. It's, it's that simple. Because right, relationships aren't magic. They take time, patience. Sometimes we want to be like, you know, painting Bob Ross masterpieces First time we're trying. It's not how it works. Um, relationship with God. Again, you're not going to get it right the first time you try. First year, first decade. Like, it grows, right? It's not stagnant. It's dynamic. Um, we can't control this relationship just like we control, like, an imaginary friend. God is a person. He is not a figment of our mind. He is a real living being who wants to be in relationship with us. So, again, but showing up. You can't have a relationship with someone if you don't show up. It's kind of that simple. Um, in, addition, in addition to prayer, this is, a, this is something I started doing and someone told me one time, it took me a while to implement it, but actually invite Jesus into the small things you do throughout the day. And if you're going to watch YouTube, invite Jesus to do it with you. If you're going to watch the class, invite Jesus to do it with you. Um, like the Shania Twain shirt, right, Anna? Like, wherever I go, Jesus comes too, you know? Like, wherever I go, Shania Twain comes too. Um, we talked about that. Anyways, you weren't here. Uh, Anna has a cool Shania Twain shirt, and she was like, I love this shirt because wherever I go, Shania comes too. And how would it be cool for us, like wherever we go, Jesus comes too. So invite him into the little things that we don't think to invite him to, the really mundane. Like again, like if you're like spending time just vegging out, invite Jesus into the Netflix episode, you know, and see what happens. Like invite him into it and see what he does. Um, last one here is surrender. So we got um, humility, showing up, and surrender. This kind of goes back to what we are talking about the Christian life. Um, see the Christian life as you laying down your plans to make room for God. When we make room for God, he fills it. God's orientation, like we said, the Father's orientation is constantly pouring out. He's always pouring out. Constantly loving. And when we make a little bit of room, he can fill that space. And that's what the Father wants. It's what he wants to do. God fills what is empty. The Christian life is first not about striving. This puts us in the driver's seat. It's about surrender to a Father who loves us. And then our actions flow from there. Um, and it is surrender too. If you think about it, like 
just maybe in our personal lives, just kneeling before the majesty of God. Um, I think every God is infinite, and we can't we can't really comprehend infinity. But is what is closer to infinity, one or a billion? Neither. Neither. What? <laughs> it's like theoretical mathematics, but actually, like one. Now, now a billion is way more than one, right? When we talk about infinity, the number is so large and so vast that like the difference between one and a billion is like basically like negligible when you talk about infinity, right? Mind blown, right? And that the Father is infinite. He's beyond our understanding. There is no there out there where we get to and we're like, I get it now, God. But it's us surrendering to the mystery, right? So let our, maybe in our person, I was trying that, just in, in the Eucharist and adoration, just kneeling before, like how the heck is infinity presented to me, body, blood, soul, and divinity in a piece of bread? What? Like, let's kneel before the mystery, brothers and sisters, right? And let him speak to you there. Um, so here's a cool tool for prayer as well for you. Um, in prayer, asking, like, who is God? Who is God? And list out some of his attributes, right? Um, like, let's try one. Faithfulness. God is faithful, okay? How have you seen God's faithfulness in your life? Write that down in prayer. Like, let the Holy Spirit come, Holy Spirit. Like, how, God, have you shown yourself to be faithful to me? Um, and, like, allow, like, that can be an entire prayer time there. Just think about how God has shown himself to be faithful. Um, you can go merciful. Like, any word whatsoever that comes to mind. Like, you can sit with that word and allow the Holy Spirit to reveal more of how the Father is doing that in your life. And that will allow you, allow you to see who God actually is, who the Father actually is, and how he acts. Because we forget so easily. Um, good. I mean, loving God, this is our wrap-up. Loving God doesn't start with us. It starts with the unfathomable love of the Father. This is what we're talking about with humility, with showing up, and with surrender, and remembering who God is. Right? This is us availing ourselves to the unfathomable, powerful, torrential, relentless love of the Father, trusting that he is good, that he loves us, and that when we say yes to him, he transforms us. This is how we open ourselves to deeper revelation and deeper transformation. Um, I'm going to close with a quote from Saint, uh, Pope, I almost said Saint, someday, um, Pope Benedict the 16th. This was, um, it was like April 25th, 2005, something like that. It was his inaugural homily. This is the last thing he said. So this is like, the guy's been like percolating with the Lord his entire life. He has his homily. This is what he ends with, okay? To like set the stage for his pontificate, for like what his whole life has been up to in that point and what his whole life will be until his death. This is what he sets the stage with. He says, at this point, my man goes back to this 22nd of October, 1978, when Pope John Paul II, Saint Pope John Paul II, began his ministry here in St. Peter's Square. His words on that occasion constantly echo in my ears. Do not be afraid. Open wide the doors for Christ. And he says, are we not perhaps all afraid in some way? If we let Christ enter fully into our lives, if we open ourselves totally to him, are we not afraid that he might take something away from us? Are we not perhaps afraid to give up something significant something unique, something that makes life so beautiful? Do we not then risk ending up diminished and deprived of our freedom? And once again, the Pope says no. If we let Christ into our lives, we lose nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing of what makes life free, beautiful, and great. No. Only in this friendship are the doors of life open wide. Only in this friendship is the great potential of existence truly revealed. Only in this friendship 
that we experience beauty and liberation. And so today, with great strength of conviction on the basis of long personal experience of life, I say to you, dear young people, do not be afraid of Christ. He takes nothing away and gives you everything. When we give ourselves to him, we receive a hundredfold in return. Yes, open. Open wide the doors to Christ, and you will find true life. Amen. Um, so uh, take 30 seconds here. Write down what you need to write down. I'm actually going to send out. I had an outline. Um, I broke a flash drive that would have printed it. I'll send that to you. And it has this quote and another reflection for your prayer. Um, but just write down what you want down here, and then in 30 seconds, we'll get chairs moved, and we'll have a little break. But just 30 seconds of quiet, and I'll dismiss us so we can get to worship.